It's time to get in the crease for Pucking Thoughts Radio. Here are your hosts, Adam Bernard and John Casilli. All right, thank you, Pete. Pucking Thoughts Radio is back on the air. I'm Adam Bernard, and with me as always is JC. JC, how are things over on the East Coast two days into the hockey season? It's amazing. I, uh, I just got done watching all the condensed highlights a little while ago. I've, I've watched as many games as I can. And uh, I haven't been able to, to bring my son to, to watch any of the games yet, but maybe over the weekend it'll, uh, we'll be able to watch some stuff together. I, I, really, I really want him to get into the sport and, and enjoy it like we do. See, I take advantage of the time zone difference out here on the West Coast, so my daughter does get to see hockey occasionally. And she's, you know, as much as an 18-month-old will watch something, she'll pay attention to it for a few minutes. She seems into it, so we'll see. She went to her first game when she was, like, five months old. Well, you know, who knows when she'll get back to her second game. But, uh, yeah. You know, it's always nice to have the kids around to do that. Um, but we're going to try and go through, you know, kind of like a season preview a little bit, update you on the changes if you're still not aware of, like, what's going to be different about this season. And then just a quick thought about each team, just to kind of get our toes wet and get back into the mix here. You know, it's, you know, we're two days into the season. You know, most of these teams have played one game, so you can't really read too much into it. Although, you know, as two Ranger fans talking here, uh, it's, you know, that Islanders backhanding at the Garden last night was not fun to watch to open your season. But nonetheless... Uh, there'll be a rematch on Saturday night, so we'll see how that goes. But let's just go through uh, the changes for a pandemic-shortened season. Teams will play other teams and repeat at matchups more often to limit travel. Each team also plays each team within their own division eight times, except in the North, where it could be nine or ten times due to there being one less team in that division. Uh, so the Sharks have had to start their home season in Arizona due to the current ordinance and Santa Clara County. Now, uh, it's a 56-game regular season, so think of it kind of like that 2012-2013 uh stanley uh lockout shortened season now here are the altered divisions um we'll get into the sponsorship names in a minute uh, mass mutual eastern is the rangers islanders devils sabers bruins flyers penguins and capitals so we're trying to keep the goal obviously here is to try and keep teams geographically within their own little quote-unquote bubble as opposed to actually making them go live in you know a bubble like they did with edmonton and toronto last year Um, The Discover Central Division is the Carolina Hurricanes, the Columbus Blue Jackets, Nashville, Florida, Tampa, Chicago, and Dallas. And then in the West, you got San Jose, L.A., Anaheim, Arizona, Vegas, uh, Vegas, St. Louis, Minnesota, and Colorado in the Honda West Division. And then, of course, the Scotia North is all the Canadian teams, Vancouver, Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, Toronto, uh, Montreal, and Ottawa. So do we really care about uh, sponsor divisions and also the uh, sponsor stickers that they're putting on the helmets now? Do you care, Jerome? I, I really don't either way no i mean if if i were like some 55 plus 50 plus purists uh who you know some of these people who are, are niche hockey fans i would probably be against it because you're ruining the purity of the game where you know the only thing on the sweater aside from the player's name should be the team name right and maybe the ccm or the nike whatever the apparel sponsorship is because those are done tastefully they're not uh, these big block letters uh, of advertising that remind you that you know there's a world outside of the sport that's being played. But from my perspective, seeing some of these advertisements on the helmets and stuff like that, I don't mind it. I really don't. I mean, it's, it's nowhere near some of the advertising that they have on some of the jerseys in Europe or, or oh, elsewhere. Yeah. You know, they're, they're, those are needed to keep the league afloat so much more so than the NHL needs them. Um, so for, for teams to be doing this now and, um, you know, I was a big fan of, of when they started putting some advertisements on the glass Oh, around like you TV, know the hyper the, fake the super yeah the fake ones yeah superimposed stuff and I, I was a big fan of that just because it's like this unused space and i know that the nhl could use money you know we're, we're not a league it's not a league where you know you ask anyone what their favorite sports are it's the nfl it's the major league baseball you know there's nascar uh basketball obviously you know and then maybe there's hockey maybe maybe it's after soccer who knows but like i know that more sponsorship means more money which means more people will flock to the sport because it's you know it could be a career and and it can only help now you bring up a couple interesting points there at the nba they put sponsors on the jerseys which is something the nhl is not that i'm sure they've considered but i think that they know would be a step too far um you know it nhl doesn't have the built-in sponsorship like a way that nascar does like you said where you have the sponsors you know you know the main sponsor on the hood and then the secondary sponsors on the side panels and stuff like that um i think and now the nhl says it's just for this season but let's be real the nhl is going to give back free money minus the cost of sticker printing so i think the sticker helmets are here to stay uh, the stickers on the helmets are here to stay with the sponsorship because i mean whatever i mean it's more apparent on tv than at the games but i don't think they'll keep the division sponsored i think that's a little too much of you know 
trying and that was free money. It literally cost you nothing to just slap a company name in front of a division name. But you also have to remember, no fans in the building in most of the arenas right now. It's a shortened season, so teams are actually you know the NHL. Yes, they are fine in terms financially, but they are losing a large chunk of revenue this year with no tickets. So you know. To take this other, to get creative and, you know, okay, fine, the Eastern Division this year will throw Mass Mutual in front of it. Like, to throw some sponsorship names on in, in it, anything to try and make up what you lost is going to help. So that one I could see them throwing back, but I think stickers on the helmet, I think that's as close as we'll get to actual sponsorship on quote-unquote uniforms for a while, um, and I'm okay with that. I think that the, the and this will be my last point on this, you know, you, you look at college football, the bowls are all sponsored, but the Cotton Bowl. Right. If I'm talking to you, am I going to say, hey, Adam, are you going to watch the Goodyear Cotton Bowl? No, I'm going to say you can watch the Cotton Bowl or I'm going to say, are you going to watch these two teams play? I think the NHL could take advantage of this because you and I, when we're going to talk about the Eastern Division or whatever, it's going to be the Eastern Division for us. It's not going to be mass mutual Eastern Division when we have a conversation. So I feel like it's a bit much um, to, to be critical of that when in reality we're going to adapt it to how we, you know, slang talk anyways. I totally agree. Like, you know, if you're doing a sp- a live read on a sports media outlet of course you have to say the name the sponsor of the bowl because that's what they're paying for but yes in everyday conversation like you said you aren't going to talk about the discover central division or the hondo west division it's just going to be whatever division (laughs) we're talking about so you know it's fine by me but as long you know i wouldn't like to see them adopt that one long term but stickers i'm fine with um, now let's go through some key dates here. Playoffs are divisional until the final four and then ranked one through four in a traditional bracket setup. So you could see uh, Rangers Islanders Stanley Cup, you know, this year. Like that's going to be kind of cool for that for like the one year that's kind you know going to be a little bit different. So you make it through your division and then it goes ranked one through four. So that'll be cool to see how that works out. And uh, the key dates on the calendar trade deadlines, April 12th, NHL draft, July 23rd and 24th and free agency, July 28th. So the NHL really hope it, you know, pretty much off of a normal season, they're only delayed a month because all that stuff usually happens like June 23rd and 24th with free agencies, you know, starting like July 1st. So they're really trying to make up for lost time so they can get back on a normal calendar next year. And I thought, you know, it's ambitious, but, you know, we'll see how things go. You know, you saw how things had to be rescheduled in the NFL a couple of times due to COVID exposure. We'll talk about the Dallas Stars later with, you know, them having this, you know, postpone the first few games of their season. Um, But I think as long as there's not too many speed bumps and they stick to the schedule, the NHL will at least be back to normalcy, hopefully with fans in the building, come next October. So that's all exciting to watch there. Now, to help alleviate call-up issues, teams will be able to carry taxi squads of four to six players. Taxi squad players will receive their full AHL salaries and therefore not count towards the team's $81.5 million salary cap. The taxi squad would practice with the regular 23-player roster, potentially travel with the top club, uh, but it it is an option, not required, and have to follow the same COVID-19 protocols. The AHL this year also has modified divisions and a few clubs relocated closer to their parent clubs for the season. And I also believe a couple of clubs are sitting out the entire season as well. So that's interesting. You talk about, you know, you, you don't like seeing... Sponsorship, um, you know, like NHL divisions and stuff like that. The AHL is truly reliant on attendance and not being able to have fans in the buildings. They're the ones that are really going to feel it this year and going to have to really lean on their parent clubs to help them out a bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. You've seen that in a lot of the not like even with um, English Premier League soccer, there's several divisions underneath the main league. So it's very similar to hockey in that there's a minor league and then another amateur like pro league, like the, the, um, all the Canadian leagues, CHL, um, all all the other ones basically. So like those are the ones that are getting hit the hardest and it, it's going to send some ripples down the line. Like it's kind of, it's corrupting a few of the players careers, you know, as well. Like, so for, for fans to take a narrow minded approach, just to say that they don't want, you know, sponsorship here and there when, if they if if you get some sponsorship and it means that you're going to get a better product in the end because more people are going to be playing your sport and getting better at your sport so that they can you know ascend to the NHL like I, I don't feel like people are connecting the dots and you know I really hope that a lot of these um, minor league teams really can keep it together and then when they open up you know there I was t- texting you about this that one of my more favorite m- things that I'm looking forward to now with like the reopenings eventually is the interaction between fans and, and um, players starting up again, because I think that there's been a, 
you take you take the fans away from the players and they really haven't seen the effect of it yet they've just been playing their sport without fans but when we get those fans back to see how those players react it's going to be something special yeah i mean it was a little eerie watching rangers islanders to open the season at madison square garden and they're just you know not being any sound in the building but you know whatever goes over the pa and the players on the ice and that natural sounds of the game so We'll see how things go throughout the course of, you know, the winter and that, but I, w- I don't think we're going to see fans back in the building till next year, you know, maybe the playoffs, depending upon how they decide to do that. But anyway, back to the, what's going on on the ice. I'm trying to just keep you updated on the changes in place for the season. Now, in terms of how uh, changes were made with teams, um, we had some head coaching changes. Um, the interim tags got removed from Jeff Ward in Calgary, Rick Bonus in Dallas, Dean Everson in Minnesota, and Bob Buchner in San Jose. So those guys are sticking around. Lindy Ruff is the new head coach of the Devils, uh, coming off the Rangers at bench for, uh, as an assistant there. And Peter Laviolette is now behind the bench in Washington, taking over for Todd Reardon. Um, the Devils took the interim tags off of GM Tom Fitzgerald. Bill Zito takes over for Dale Talon in Florida. Kevin Adams is part of the makeover in Buffalo. And Bill Armstrong replaces Coyotes interim GM Steve, Steve Sullivan after John Chiker abruptly resigned in last year's playoffs you know which of these is gonna have the quickest impact on their team you know i look at what you know kevin adams has done in buffalo already with getting taylor hall and with getting you know eric stall in there although stall you know took a shot to the head we'll see how long he's out in the season opener against washington um i I think that's going to be your quickest impact right there um in terms of behind the bench which of these guys do you think will have the most success quickly i think laviolette just because of the um the, the roster that he has, mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, despite losing Hopi, I think that Laviolette's in the best position uh, of, of all those coaches, just because Washington's so close to winning a cup, uh, well, a couple of years away from winning a cup um, previous. I think we have Ovechkin, Backstrom, Oshie, and Carlson still kind of chugging along. Um, I think I think Laviolette putting his system in there, it would be interesting to see how Ovechkin take, takes to it and the team takes to it, but he's been pretty successful over the years, uh, Laviolette. Um, I think Lindy Ruff is going to be real good for the Devils. They're in a rebuild, and they're going to have to play defensive hockey, and he's a defensive-minded guy. Um, and then the only other guy I'd want to touch on is um, – uh, Rick Bonus, I think Dallas is poised again. You know, once they get Sagan back, um, you know they're poised again to be a good team. You know, a competitive team. Last year they showed that they can play defense and also still play offense, which is something that before last year they've really struggled with because they could either do offense or nothing. <laughs> you know, so um, you know that that's also I, I think good. I don't know that it'd be as as big of an impact him getting the head coach title because you know he's pretty much already the head coach. The ones How I, about you? The ones I like to look at here are Dean Everson in Minnesota because he's got his first full season with the team, even if it is under the current circumstances. Um, I think, you know, Minnesota is going to be a tough team. You know, I know that's not a team, a team that people look at, but I think he can have an impact there and keep him hanging around. And also Bob Buchner in San Jose, although, like we always talk about with the Sharks, it really comes down to goaltending with them. But I think he's a voice that the players in the, in the locker room respect and like. So it's just a matter of, you know, San Jose gelling somehow, some way. Um, but yeah, we'll see how all those changes go behind the bench and up in the press box. So let's move on now to team pondering. So we're going to go through each team with one like thought or comment or question. And uh, just to kind of give you a little taste of where we're at with all these teams heading into uh, heading into the season here as we are a couple of days into the 2021 uh, NHL campaign. Let's start with the Northern Division up in Canada. Let's start with the Maple Leafs. Are the additions of Joe Thornton and Wayne Simmons the changes they need to get them over the hump or out of the first? round at least yeah let's temper expectations hey for once (laughs) and then maybe if they go so far you get surprised and you love it it's awesome right because if you look at those two guys no it's not enough to get you to the cup but you need like so much more to gel as a team to really drive yourselves deeper so i'm gonna say good enough to get them out of the first round let's keep expectations low I would a thousand percent agree with that. I think having those kind of guys in the in the room, you know, everybody respects Joe Thornton. You know, Wayne Simmons is another guy that's just mutual, just just league wide respect for, and certainly they earn it and they bring a certain you know edge and gruffness to the table um, that the Leafs have probably lacked in their lineup the last couple of years. So yeah, I think they, that that kind of edge helps you get out of the first round. Uh, but like you said, you know, Thornton is not what he used to be. You know, the guy could still make excellent passes, but, you know, as each year goes on the last couple of years, you're starting to notice his age a little bit more. Um, and Simmons, too. Um, but they still both just bring that certain toughness uh, to the ice. They're, they can still hang in a top six. They can still play with Matthews and Marner and guys like that. Uh, referring to Thornton, Simmons is more of a bottom six guy at this point in his career, but certainly gives you quality depth down there. So 
We'll see how things go in Toronto, but I certainly think they are, are finally going to get over the first-round hump this year. Over in Montreal, Nick Suzuki can be the guy to take this team to the next level, but they also need Jesperi Kotkaniemi to rebound from a bumpy uh, 2020 campaign. He was a former third overall pick there. You know, what do you, what do you think about Montreal coming into the season here? I'm usually I'm a pretty big hater of Montreal just because of how what their their Jonathan Drouin acquisition and then signing and then you know last year it was a pretty big disappointment for him but they went and got my boy Josh Anderson uh, and got rid of Domi which you know I think I think is was was good for them uh, and then you have another year of development for some of their defenders and uh, Suzuki was was uh, is is also going to be taking a next step like offensively do I think that they're going to you know really compete this year no I think they'll be in the bottom quarter right of the league probably but it's all about um, the division this year because you don't play anybody outside the division so it's how you stack within your own division which i think actually I, helps them yeah. a little bit maybe it might i mean you saw last night we had the advantage of, of seeing you know the game against toronto right where you know toronto's usually like of the night if you're going to make a pick toronto montreal toronto's probably the first pick if not the second pick if you're trying to bet on the game or something like that just because toronto's so overwhelmingly offensive and and montreal cut with them they kept with them and I think that also speaks to your point about how you match up with teams because you compare those two teams together and Toronto's in a different class. But when you play them against each other, if Toronto doesn't play defense, Montreal has shown that they can they can score now. So Well, I mean, in each division, they manage to maintain at least one rivalry with the realignment. And I mean, in Canada, you know, it's a big deal is always made when one Canadian team is playing another Canadian team. So now you're getting a full season of that. So, you know... In places like Toronto or Montreal, where a rivalry already existed, Toronto, Ottawa, you know, the Battle of Alberta, we all love it. You're going to start seeing random, you know, cross cross Canadian rivalries flare up again, and that'll be certainly nice to watch there. Um, you know, you look at that division as we go through all the teams. Montreal's probably closer to the bottom because of how deep the three Western teams' talent is. But like you said, it's all about matchups. Now, for, in Ottawa, it'll be another developmental season for the Sens, but there's enough young talent to enjoy their growth. Um, you look up and down that roster. I think they're one of those pesky teams that um, they're going to lose a lot, but they're going to make you sweat. Um, I think because you're playing within, you know, teams that are already kind of like you have a little bit of a relationship with in terms of, you know, always kicking up to another level when you face them. I think that'll help them a little bit, but I, I don't expect, you know, Ottawa to sniff the playoffs this year by any stretch. No, I, I think that they're uh, – I think that the main thing I'll take away is um, I want to see how well Stutzel does this year. Stutzel is their first-round pick. Um, German – you know, who doesn't like a big German, like a, a German name, yeah, and never I mean, mind, like a German playmaker who also is like pretty awesome. Like, so uh, that, that'll be what I'm watching from Ottawa this year. I, I don't think they're going to win much. So it's just going to be seeing what his maturation is like, and hopefully he can stay healthy. Other young guys you want to look at too there, Drake Batherson, you know, Brady Kachuk, we all know what he brings to the table, but, you know, we hope he grows a little bit each and every year. And, of course, Thomas Shabbat on the blue line, that's a guy you want to see yeah. take a real big step this year and to being mm-hmm. the defenseman that they hope he can be. Um, so that's where through the Eastern Canadian teams now. Let's move over to the West. Uh, it's all one division this year. Connor Hellebuck had quite the season last year. If he comes back to the mean a bit, how much does it affect them? I think, you know... Winnipeg's got quite a very good team, but, you know, Connor Hellebuck, obviously, you know, reigning Vezina winner. Uh, I, I think he's made a huge difference for them last year. Um, I think it, as long as he's close to that level, nothing changes. But if he does, you know, take a noticeable step back this season, I think it really hurts Winnipeg. Yeah, I think it could. It definitely could. I, I think that um, you're going to see a different Patrick Line this year, and that might offset a little bit of uh, a regression from Hellebuck, which would be fine, I think. I think you ask Winnipeg Jet fans if you want to see Patrick Line, they throw like 40 goals up and, and Hellebuck, you know, maybe come down to earth with his save percentage. Um, they would take that trade off. I would take that trade off. So, I mean, in watching Line A um, play already, it's apparent that, I mean, after one game, you know, obviously you have to temper expectations, but he looks like a very confident, relaxed player right now. Doesn't look like anything's really bothering him. And if that continues, we could see 40 goals from this guy. I mean, you look at their top six, Shifley, Wheeler, Lyon, Stasny, Connor, Nikolai Ehlers. I mean, have fun with that. That's that's not an easy yeah. top two to defend. So, like you said, even they can withstand, the, uh, you know, even if Havel Buck does have a little bit of a regression uh, this year, they can withstand it with the offense that they can put up. I mean, they're going to be a fun team to watch this year. Um, now, last night, uh, Winnipeg wins in overtime, courtesy of Patrick Lyon, of course. Um, over Calgary. They're putting their stock in Jacob Markstrom to finally provide stability in their crease can he? Did he finally become the goalie that we, you know, Florida thought he was going to be, and then Vancouver thought he was going to be? Is he finally that guy in Calgary after the way he played with the Canucks last year? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think he he can definitely be that way. I think it was watching that game was very tough, just <laughs> tough at certain times for him, just because of how overwhelming Winnipeg is. To your point, um, but I think you know they'll be he'll be fine against a lot of the teams in this division, um, just fine because he's had exposure to them. You know, like Vancouver. Like he knows all the players there. Edmonton, they've played. Winnipeg, they've played. Ottawa and Montreal, by and large, like there's nothing really special there that's going to threaten him. Nor Calgary, uh, and then so then then Toronto, who they may have, he may not have seen so often. Uh, so I, I think that he's he's the guy for them. I really liked him on Vancouver, and I thought that he could stay with Vancouver and grow with the rest of that team. Uh, but they went the other way by getting um, Holtby. Uh, so and don't forget they got Thatcher Demko, you know, ready to take the reins this year too. So that's kind of yeah. why Markstrom was, you know, a little expendable for them, right? Which is a good problem to have. But think about having that Thatcher and Markstrom still like this year because you're going to be relying on two goalies, right? Whereas Holtby is kind of a question mark. Uh, that kind of leads us into Vancouver. If, if you so, want to move I mean, to Vancouver, I mean, you know, when you look at the crease, you know, it's, is it going to be a split workload between Demko and Holtby in the in the Canucks crease this year, or is it going to be Demko getting the lion's share of starts by the time the season goes on? And you know, I think that's up to Holtby. I think they, you know, as long as Demko is playing well, it's going to be his crease, and he'll probably get two thirds to one third start. Although you have to factor in this year with it being a shortened season, there's going to be a lot more back to backs. You know, a lot of three games in four nights. So you're going to see more so than ever, it's important to rely on your backup. So again, I think you'll see it, you know, maybe a little bit closer than two thirds, one third for that reason. But I think all the big starts are going to go to Demko. You know, maybe you're facing, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, and, you you know, that's a team that Holpe knows very well. So maybe you start him against a team like that, you know, even though it's a big game against a big opponent. Um, if you were playing a team like Pittsburgh, obviously they can't because of the schedule this year, but you get my point. Um, well, I guess Hope he won't be facing anybody he's really familiar with if he's playing like Canadian teams this year. That's correct, and so. I'm just glad that he got his tortoises up to the Canadian border. Did you hear about this story in the offseason? No, I did not. You remember I had tort- a tortoise back in the day in college, and mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone knows about tortoises, but they're not like turtles. They get to be like 60 pounds, maybe maybe 70 pounds, and they live for 100 years. Uh, so Braden Holpe has two of them, and and uh, upon signing, you know, with Vancouver, he drives up there with his wife, and they stop him at the border because he doesn't have his paperwork to bring the tortoises into Canada. <laughs> so it was like this big thing on Twitter. Braden Holpe's wife posted something asking for help for forms and stuff, and the internet community kind of helped helped them out. And it's like this this is funny thing that happened. Um, but I, I could see it happening the same way. I think if you're Vancouver, you want Demko to be your guy for the long term with the rest of these young guys. So you got to rip off the bandaid right now. Give him all the exposure to all these teams right now and if he falters he has Holtby to back him up and and you know it, maybe he learns some or whatever but I do think he gets two-thirds of the starts unless some unless he just the wheels fall off and then he needs to get corrected you know now he's gonna have his hands full especially seeing a guy like Kyler Yamamoto this year you know nine to ten times um is this the year he breaks through and gives the Oilers some much-needed secondary scoring? I mean, listen, we know it's Connor McDavid. We know it's Leon Dreisaitl. Those are the guys that are giving you your offense in Edmonton. But to have some scoring behind that, yeah, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has filled that void to a certain degree. They need Yamamoto to be that guy, to be a second-line scorer. I think he can finally do it this year. I think, you know, he's been hot and cold in the past. I think this is the year he finally puts it together. Yeah, Adam says this while wearing a Leon Dreisaitl. Uh, jersey, we'll call it t-shirt jersey. jersey. I got this right, when, I no. to that, the, when I went to the Rangers Oilers game there. Oh, geez, that was like two years Ooh. ago, almost three years ago now. No, three years ago. Wow, McDavid, uh, you saw McDavid, right? I uh, did. It was a yeah. that was a good game. That was a hockey night in Canada game. Um, but yeah, so we'll, speaking of the Rangers, um, we all, we all know the number one overall pick, uh, oddly in the media, one of the media capitals of the world. Um, but he'll still be able to grow in the without the spotlight fully on him uh, this year because you got guys like Panarin and Zibanejad who are clearly the top two options uh, this year for the Rangers and the guys that are expected to shoulder the load. You can also say the same for Kako that maybe you know he didn't have the greatest of rookie seasons last year, being the second overall pick that certainly didn't uh, meet expectations that were maybe a little hefty on him, but nonetheless you know underachieved to a degree. Um, we'll see how. He gets maybe a second year here, you know, maybe not being in the spotlight as much will help him grow a little bit. Um, but the guy who does will, will have some pressure on him this year is Shosturkin, I think for sure. Um, Lundqvist is gone, beginning of a new era. Georgiev certainly is going to play us a fair amount. They're going to probably play closer to a 50-50 split, but let's face it, we all know Shosturkin is expected to be the number one guy. Yeah, and and he's going to be seeing, you know, with the divisional alignment, he's going to be seeing a lot of... Uh tried and tested goal scores <laughs> night in and night out with it with a team that has 
young defenseman and um, Jack Johnson. Uh, so it, it's it's not going to be Your favorite. I, I very much dislike him um, and Brendan Smith. He became so, the Ranger. So the Ranger fans always have a defenseman whipping boy for every season. Sometimes it's the same guy a couple years in a row. Jack Johnson's locked it in already one game into the season. <laughs> For sure. Like, I already saw it on social media last night. I'm like, yep, he's going to be the blue line whipping boy this year. There's always one. But that's the thing. The Rangers almost always intentionally get one of these players. And it must be some sort of distraction tactic where they're like, we've got some young defensemen. Let's get one of these guys in here who could take a lot of the the heat and, uh, you know, allow these guys to just grow. Because it's tough to play defense and it's tough to be consistent. Um, and so Shostarkin is, is really going to have some issues. You know, we've seen some of the desperation saves he's able to make. He's very controlled as well. Um, so you can see that he's going to be a very good goalie. You just hope that the Rangers can put up more than one goal uh, than the other team every night. You know, that's kind of the way it's going to be because it's, it's it doesn't it, it last the other night against the Islanders for nothing. You know, and they took like, I don't know, 40 penalties. <laughs> so uh, he's going to have to really shoulder the load. Not, not, not the start he wanted, but, you know, we'll see how things happen. You know, yeah. we'll see how he bounces back. It's, a, it's still got 55 games to go. Um, similar question to Vancouver for the Islanders here, but the goalies this time are Ilya Sorokin and Simeon Varlamov. I think Varlamov is their clear-cut guy, but I think it's like kind of like the flip of Vancouver where the younger guy is going to get the lion's share and then the older guy will kind of fill the void where needed. It's going to be the other way around where you're going to see Varlamov get the bulk of the starts and they'll find opportunities to get Sorokin some quality NHL time and i think he'll be ready to handle the task should varlamov get hurt which he does have a tendency to do it's true he does and uh i I think he's in a very good counter to the rangers system the islander system is defense first uh forwards and d play defense protect leads play conservative and uh and that's going to help either goalie who's starting so you know not sure who really needs to be in that for that team because they play a very very good all-around brand of hockey Islanders, you know, they 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 scare me. They're one of those teams that are just they're built for both the regular season and the playoffs. You know, they're not considered a top team in the league, but I think they're at the top of that second tier, and I think they're dangerous to just about anybody they play any night. Now let's head across the Hudson River into New Jersey. Fair to say, uh, Jack Hughes is underwhelmed in his rookie campaign, like we mentioned about Kako earlier. Uh, does he break out the season in a low pressure environment with no real expectations on the Devils? I think it's very easy for him to have a better year than he did last year. So in that regard, yes, I do think we'll see some more flashes of what he's capable of being this year. And I think he'll have a solidly better season. Yeah, I, I would probably say the same thing. I'm, I'm not really sure what's around him so much that would cause him to kind of flourish. Uh, I think the Devils are going to be pretty scrappy. And if there's any indication of their style, like they're going to rely again on Mackenzie Blackwood to just stand on his head every night uh, because Corey Crawford retired. Uh, that, that was something very unfortunate, unfortunate for him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think the Devils also finished at the bottom. And yeah, I mean, if Hughes gets, uh, what, 40 points, something like that, would you be happy with 40 points? Depending upon how many of those are goals, as, as long as it's close to 20 of those being goals, then yeah, you know, I, I can't see him, po- like, you know, if he posts like 10 goals, 30 assists. I mean, it's still in 56 games. It's not bad, but you'd like to see a guy like, you want to see a number one overall pick, put the puck in the net more. So, you know, as long as it's closer to 20 goals, then yeah, I think you're okay with 40 points. Now, down in Washington, this is Ilya Samsonov's time to shine with the signing of Henrik Lundqvist and then adding Craig Anderson after Lundqvist had to undergo heart surgery, which went well. So, good on him. Glad to hear he's doing well. GM Brian McClellan down in D.C. clearly wants an old vet there to provide guidance for the 23-year-old Russian. Again, more like a Vancouver situation where the younger guy's going to get the bulk of the starts and the older vet is there to just, you know, kind of be a you know a wise uh, piece of advice in the locker room for him. Yeah, calm voice. Yeah, I think the Caps are going to be good, consistent. And uh, with Laviolette, like we touched on before, it's going to be kind of a, a different kind of Washington Capitals, potentially. Um, maybe a little more offensive, a little less defensive. I would uh, agree with that. You know, certainly a guy like Laviolette versus what they had the past two guys in Trotz and Reardon. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you look at the, I mean, the Capitals roster, again, you just, you look at them and it's like, find a weakness in their forward group, all right, not happening uh, there. You look on their blue line, you know, they add Zidane Chara, you know, on the scrap <laughs> heap, basically. But as a third pairing defenseman, if he's going to play what? 12 minutes a night sure why not you know plus what he brings to the locker room and still an intimidation factor on the ice and the eastern division excuse me the mass mutual eastern division that is important to have an intimidation factor now the buffalo sabers uh move into what's basically the bulk of the metropolitan division for the season uh they made their best attempt to try and make jack eichel happy this offseason by signing taylor hall and adding eric stall have they finally found a mix that will get them in the playoffs uh that's t- it's tough. I, I feel like they're going to have to 
rely on some of these other teams kind of faltering a bit, uh, like Pittsburgh. I think if Pittsburgh doesn't have a good season or they stumble, then Buffalo might be able to take their spot. Uh, but otherwise, it's going to be it's going to be a heated competition. I love the addition of Taylor Hall on that team. Uh, he already had, I feel like he had a couple goals the other night, uh, a couple goals, a couple assists, a couple hits. He's like just really nice all around player that I would love to have on the Rangers. Yeah, he had a goal and an assist. Um, he's on the power play. Like he, oh man. I really want the best for Buffalo this year. I just, my one question is, is Carter Hutton, um, is he going to really start to be a top 10 goalie or what, what is he going to be this year? I think they lean on Omar this year a little bit more. I think, think they, so. I think, mm-hmm. you know, they signed Hutton, you know, because he was the hot backup that maybe could be a starter if given an opportunity, clearly not the case and had a chance to prove that last year. So Omar's a little bit younger. Omar, you know, played well given opportunities last year. Um, so I think, you know, you go with the opposite this year, and if Omar can't get it done, you can always go back to Hutton. But, you know, goaltending is definitely an issue they'll have to address, but Rome was not built in a day. Um, when you talk about trying to keep Jack Eichel happy, I mean, geez, you put Taylor Hall on a line with him. That, you know, right-wing spot, not to say it doesn't matter, but that's going to be more of a guy that forechecks and does the dirty work, so that way Eichel and Hall can do their thing, you know, setting up and scoring. Um, so I think for the first time, you might actually see a happy Jack Eichel this year, depending yeah, on how he, it goes. Now, whether they... Jeff Skinner's on that team too. Yeah, Skinner's there too. You know, you can certainly, you know, it's crazy. Look, you know, you look at their second line stall, Olafson Reinhardt. You know, you can throw Skinner up on that top line, see if that gets him going consistently again. Otherwise, you know, as a third liner, Skinner's still okay. Um, in terms of making the playoffs, I think the division they're in does them no favors because you almost have to say the Bruins, Flyers, and Islanders are three of the four playoff spots already. So now you got the Rangers. Um, oh, and the Capitals. So Capitals. Yeah. So I mean, that's kind of tough to make the division when you can already throw four teams in there and you know the rangers are expected to be even better than they were better. last year you know the only team that's expected to be weak is new jersey so i think that hurts buffalo if they were in a weaker division they might have a chance but if they can just play well um i think and when they, things go back to normal next year maybe they compete for the playoffs a little bit better next season speaking of the bruins how do they fare in their new division for this season elbowing for room at the top with pittsburgh philly and washington this is a deeper division than they're used to but they're used to you know, having Tampa Bay and Toronto kind of hanging around, nipping at their heels or, you know, chasing them. So I think in terms of battling at the top of a very tough division, they're going to be fine. But the margin for error isn't there because in past years, even if they, you know, the last couple of years, if they went on like a five-game losing streak, okay, they fold the third in the division, but they still have that guaranteed playoff spot. This year, they don't have that margin for error. You know, what, you know, the other five teams in the Atlantic division were not really chasing that top three spots all that well. So I think in that regard, there's less margin for error there. Yeah, and they're starting the season with Pasternak injured, right? Mm-hmm. So we're not playing. So I, I do agree with you. I think Boston definitely is in a little bit of a jeopardy. Although, like now they're they're transitioning into a a bunch of teams that play rough and tumble hockey. You know, from teams that are going to overwhelm you with offense, like Toronto and Tampa Bay. Um, they can play a little bit differently, but will will they? You know, will they succeed in that environment? I, I could see them being, like you said, a three, four, five, six finish this year. So we'll see what happens there and as they battle for the top two. The other teams expected to battle for position. Let's talk about Philadelphia. They burst through last year as one of the top teams in the league. Will we see more of the same this season? I think yes. I think Philadelphia is here to stay as one of the better teams in the league, one of the teams that's, you know, a common pick to come out of the East in the Stanley Cup Finals for the next couple of years, you know, as long as they stay healthy and as long as Carter Hart does not have any regression. That's right. They've got Carter Hart. They've got a younger defense that's a year older now and is playing well. And their forwards are are their forwards. The Phillies forwards have always been pretty good. So... I think that they're going to finish one two. All right, and then Pittsburgh. There's no about the no doubt about the forward and blue blue line group. But how much faith do you have in a Tristan Jerry Casey DeSmith goalie tandem? I don't have a ton of faith in that. They have the offense to overcome that. I still think they're one of the top teams in the division. But come playoff time, I don't know how far they go. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see like their forward core is one injury, like a Gensel away from kind of being middling, and because their goaltending is not really reliable uh, again. You know, I'm not really expecting much from them. All right, two divisions to get through here. We'll jump over to the Western, excuse me, the Honda West division. And we'll start out in the desert uh, with Arizona. I honestly don't know what to make of this team. Darcy Kemper has proven himself as a goalie, but I think they need Connor Garland, Christian Dvorak, Dvorak, and Clayton Keller to take big steps this year if they want to compete. Uh, Phil Kessel has proven in the past he doesn't handle being the top dog well. He's more of a secondary scorer. Uh, that's more what he's more comfortable with. You know, Garland and uh, Keller looked good last night in the game against San Jose. They had some chemistry. You know, obviously, you know, need to see that throughout the season. But if 
those two guys can play, then Arizona can certainly be uh, in the mix for a top four spot. And not necessarily a, as tough a division as the uh, East, but definitely very deep at the top. Yeah, I mean the the, the I can see I can see them getting fourth. You know, I think you're looking at Colorado, Vegas, St. Louis, and any combination of the three. And then the other four teams that they have to go up against are Minnesota, San Jose, Anaheim, and L.A. Four of those four teams are in some sort of stage of rebuild. I'm not sure where San Jose is at. They might be in like a middling tier. But if Arizona can be knock off San Jose, get the majority of the wins against San Jose, then they should uh, they should be able to handle Minnesota, Anaheim, and L.A. And, and then finish fourth and get in. But will they go anywhere? Probably not. All right. I think with Arizona, I think I uh, we, I agree they're in that secondary tier. Where they are in that secondary tier depends upon how well San Jose and Minnesota play, and even Anaheim to a certain degree. L.A. kind of is the only team I don't expect much this year, kind of like Ottawa in the Canadian division, kind of like uh, New Jersey in the Eastern division. Uh, Colorado, it's going to be a real battle atop division with St. Louis and Vancouver. Are they the best of the bunch? So how you see it right now, let's rank those three, one through three. Colorado, Vegas, St. Louis, how do you see it breaking? I think St. Louis is probably going to be number one, Vegas number two, Colorado number three. But, like, it is extremely difficult, and I could easily see any combination of the three uh, ending up in any way, really. Like, because they're all really, really, really top-end teams. How do you see it? All right. I've got Vegas, Colorado, St. Louis as the one, two, three there. Now, speaking of the Golden Knights, tough to pin everything on one player, but is the addition of defenseman Alex Petrangelo the missing piece to put them over the top? Vegas certainly has gone deep in the playoffs each year. They've existed except, you know, the whole San Jose Game 7 uh, five-minute major debacle. Um, nonetheless, in the mix, uh, considered a favorite every year, is that the guy that gets them over the top? Yeah, I mean, I say this about a lot of certain teams out there that are very good offensively and have a good goalie. Like, if you don't have an older defenseman who's locked down or a vet who's, like, in NHL terms, like an 85 overall rating or over, like, you're not going to win because you need to shut down the opposing team at some point. And so getting him and getting the leadership out of him is is another bonus for this team. And I, I agree with you. I think that uh, – I, I do think that this will push them over the top. All right. Now, the team that you had – Tops amongst those three, the team I got in the bottom, St. Louis. And speaking of Petrangelo, they tried to fill the void of him leaving with a more mobile Tory Krug from Boston. And also Mike Hoffman's going to kind of be taking the place of Vladimir Tarasenko, not in terms of production, but in terms of role, because Tarasenko's on long-term IR with the shoulder. So how well do those changes work for him? Is Hoffman good enough to kind of, you know, be the Band-Aid on the, on the missing Tarasenko production? And do you like the more Krug, mobile Krug in that blue line group versus Petrangelo? Yeah, I mean, I feel like St. Louis is a team that's different. It's built kind of uh, – they're, they're a different kind of team as they're built entirely around the team concept. Uh, so if one player goes down, like Tarasenko went down last year for a long period of time, I believe, mm-hmm. and they just kind of middled along, chugged along, and, and they're going to be fine. Uh, so I think, I, think that, I think that Hoffman's a nice addition, and if he fits in on that power play, which is already pretty good, uh, St. Louis is going to have a lot easier time beating some of these – some of these close battles. I mean, they're going to, you're either going to, if you're St. Louis going up against Colorado, you're going to try to make it a physical, sloggy, slow game and take advantage of the penalties, the power plays that you get. And Hoffman's going to help with that. I think uh, with Krug, um, that was the one element their blue line was lacking, was a, re- a guy that can really just, you know, carry the offense from the back end and get it going and generate the rush. You know, Vince Dunn could do that to a certain degree, but not the way Tory Krug can. Um, so not to say Petrangelo was quote unquote expendable, but, you know, they have got you know, not as good as Petrangelo, but they have similar kind of style defensemen there. Um, so you look at Krug, he's going to be, you know, kind of trying to make things happen from the back end until your point about their depth. Braden Shen, Ryan O'Reilly, David Perron, Jaden Schwartz, if those guys stay healthy, you know, maybe a growth year out of Robert Thomas. So there are guys there that are going to, you know, like you said, they're, they're built as a, you know, some of their parts versus one guy to carry the kind of offensive load. Now let's get through the rest of the West Division here. Up next is the Minnesota Wild, and the big changes for them are Cam Talbot in net and a likely full season of young talent, Kirill Kaprizov. Can they make noise as a dark horse if both of those guys play well? And I'm going to say yes. I think, you know, different bit of a culture change there, you know, having Dean Evison in place versus Bruce Boudreau. Um, Kaprizov already, you know, had a big impact in the win over the L.A. Kings last night in their season opener. You know, Kevin Fiala played well for them at, down the stretch last year. If he can pick up where he left off, you know, there's still Joel Erickson Eck. So they're not a team that I think is going to necessarily be a lock to be in the mix down the stretch. But I think throughout the season, they're going to be a team that's going to make you earn every point you get against them. And I think they can maybe sniff around that four spot if things go really, really well for them. 
Yeah, it's definitely possible, depending on how Cantaba plays. He's, he has uh, potential to really be pretty good, but also potential to be pretty normal. Um, so no high hopes for Minnesota. I, I hope they kind of tank a bit and kick that rebuild off. Now to uh, my hometown team, you know, well, current hometown team, the San Jose Sharks. The talent is there for them to be good, obviously, with, you know, guys like Burns and Carlson and Vlasic on the blue line. And they got Hurdle and Couture and Kane up front for sure, you know, guys that can play. But if the Martin Jones, Devin Dubnik tandem can even play adequately, can they compete with those top three teams in the division? If they play adequate, I think they separate themselves from Arizona as the fourth best team in the division. But if they can play well, do you think they can maybe cause some problems for those top three teams? I think maybe you'd see them take a game or two in the series with the other top teams just because there's always the opportunity for a letdown when you go into a game against a team that's seemingly way below you uh, in, in rankings, you know, letdown games. Uh, but overall, I don't think San Jose makes a push. I think they can mess around with Minnesota and Arizona and maybe make a push for that fourth, uh, for that fourth seed, but I don't have much confidence in it. The only team that I can see the Sharks, you know, of those top three maybe – putting a little scare into it, it's only because of the rivalry is Vegas. Because when those two teams genuinely do not like each other, you got Peter DeBoer behind that bench, I think in a playoff series, you know, it's easy to distract a team that you really don't like or vice versa and maybe, you know, steal a couple of games. You know, they added Ryan Donato last year, um, you know, in the offseason, I should say, you know, they're expecting more out of Timo Meyer. So, I mean, I, I don't think that they could really do anything to Colorado or St. Louis in a seven-game series, but Vegas for sure. Now, let's head to Southern California. There's a lot of young talent to watch here. If they get going, could they be a thorn in the side of this division? To a certain degree, yes. I think John Gibson is kind of getting wasted in net because he's got to face a lot of shots every night. So he's a very good goalie, but I think he's, you know, Getting a lot of maybe too many reps in the span of a season, but it's going to be fun to watch, you know, guys like Max Steele and Troy Terry and Maxime Comtois and guys like that, you know, really, you know, try and take that next step to get Anaheim back in the mix maybe next season. I think Zegras made the team too. So mm-hmm. it's uh, a lot of good youth there. Reminds me of how like Longquist got wasted with the Rangers, you know, the, the high quality chances where you're making the saves, but, you know, it's not really going anywhere. So I, I don't think they can threaten. Uh, it'd be nice to see some of the young guys like develop and, and Ricard Raquel maybe bounce back and, and get some stability there. Now, you look also, they bring Kevin Shattenkirk in on the blue line, too. If he can, you know, repeat the success he had with Tampa Bay, you know, that's certainly a nice guy to have there as well to kind of stabilize things a little bit. But that blue line is built, with the exception of Josh Manson, is kind of built to move the puck more than they are to defend the puck. So they're going to have to win in a lot of shootouts, but not shootouts, but a lot of run-and-gun kind of games. Um, now let's go to their cross-town rivals and the freeway face-off, the Los Angeles Kings. No high hopes here, but do you let Quentin Byfield play as much as he can with this younger bunch and learn on the job, or let his confidence grow with the AHL Kings? Byfield, of course, the second overall pick in this past draft um, and plays center. I think, you know, if it's a low-pressure environment, you don't have a ton of expectations on the Kings, as long as he's going to play a decent amount of minutes every night and can play behind a guy like Andre Kopitar, yes. But if you're going to limit his minutes, then let him play in the AHL. Yeah, I mean, I think on top of that, that's a good point. I think that you could also have him play for a couple of weeks and then send him down to the AHL and have him kind of work on some few specific things that you see that he had uh, issues with at the NHL level. And then you can always bring him back, uh, you know, and he might have a, gain some confidence that way, having already seen the NHL and, and worked on it in the AHL. I think that's one way to, to you know, go go at it or you could just baptism by fire and see how it works out all right it's kind of a crapshoot i think you play like i said i think you get him as much opportunity to play with mm-hmm. a, behind a guy like kopitar um and in the locker room with him i mean again there's not a ton of ex, you know kopitar dowdy and quick are a great core but there's not a ton around that core besides a guy like jeff carter um so i think they're just you know it's all about just taking advantage of the shortened season and getting real nhl reps you know, if they get out to a really strong start and they find themselves in the mix, that changes things, but I don't see that happening. Let's go down to the Central Division, or uh, over to the Central Division, I should say. Let's start with Tampa Bay. Can they repeat as champions without Nikita Kucherov? I think they can still go deep in the playoffs without Kucherov. I think they have the depth that they could repeat without Kucherov, but I don't know. I mean, you're talking about a, one of the most productive players in the league. I mean, you're getting Stamkos back, so it's offset a little bit. Hopefully he stays healthy, and hopefully you get Kucherov back at some point and, you know, some cap situation is figured out. But I, I do think they're, you know, they lost, um, who did they lose? Was it uh, Paulquette so or Killorn? Paulquette is gone, uh, but Killorn is still there. Killorn's still there, yeah. So you don't really lose too much. I mean, it's a kind of heart and soul guy, kind of sucks. But uh, I, I think that they can definitely, definitely dominate this division. 
Yeah, when you look at the division, you know, uh, up and down, it's they're they're the best team. I don't see them not finishing first. So I think in that regard, because maybe they'll have an easier run in the regular season, they'll be better rested in the playoffs. So yes, I can see them repeating without Kucherov, but it's going to be tough. Go to the other Florida team, the Panthers, after Spencer Knight's performance in the World Juniors. Is there any chance that he could surpass Bobo on the depth chart this season? Got to factor in Sergei Borovsky's contract. Or will they simmer the 2019 13th overall pick a little bit more? I think it's too soon to think Bobrovsky deserves to not be the uh, top guy. I think, you know, when he plays, as long as he stays healthy and plays consistently, he's got to be the guy. But it is comforting to know that you have a young talent like Knight that proved on a big stage that he can handle and play very well. So it is comforting to have that. It is tempting to maybe go to that, but I think you have to give Bobrovsky every chance you get because he was one of your marquee additions recently. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that Bobrovsky had a very underwhelming year last year, but I also think that Florida had a bit of uh, an issue with, you know, playing defense. Uh, so it, it's uh, they're, they, they, they gave up 228 goals. Only teams who gave up more than that are uh, New Jersey, Ottawa, and Detroit. Detroit. So for me, I'd almost rather have him simmer and, and get experience somewhere else or simmer, you know, on the bench and kind of spell Bobrovsky from here and there. Um, but I, I want to rely on Babo and have him rebound because he's a better goalie than, than he, he was last year. I agree. I think you have to give him every chance he get, and I think he will be better than he was last year. That won't be tough to do, though. Uh, let's go to Carolina. How successful can they be with a Pete Morazic james Reimer tandem? We know they're deep up front with guys like Aho and Taravainen. We know the blue line is also a good group. Can those two guys be good enough to get them deep into the playoffs or beyond? I definitely think so. I think that they're, Carolina's forming what St. Louis is kind of formed. It's, it's just this team mentality. Uh, Rob Brindamore is, is a very uh, firm coach, and the team really responds to him. I think that the, the, uh, Sebastian Ajo is, is a stud. He's going to qualify into that category. And Dougie Hamilton, as long as he can stay healthy, that dude is an offensive, like, he's really, really, really good. Um, so I think that they can overcome whatever goalie situation, whatever goalie tandem they have, their offense and defense is generally pretty good. And, you know, they trounced the Rangers last year. So I, I think if that's the team that shows up this season, you're going to see, you're going to really like it if you're uh, a Hurricanes fan. I think Pete Mrazek getting out of Detroit, I think, you know, he got his game settled in Philadelphia a little bit when he was there briefly. For whatever reason, he's just played well in Carolina. He's more comfortable there, whatever the reason. You know, he's behind a pretty good blue line. I think he's solid. Reimer has proven that as a backup, he can play well. He's not a guy you want to be your starter, but he's a reliable backup. So I think Carolina can be a good enough team with those two guys manning the crease. Uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, I like the marriage of Max Domi and John Tortorella. However, will there be a divorce between the uh, Blue Jackets and Pierre-Luc Dubois? Is he going to get traded? Either way, the saga will be fun to watch. I think, you know, I don't know if, you know, in a shortened season like this, you're going to see more or less trades. I guess, you know, the market will dictate that to a degree. Um, but... I wouldn't do anything drastic if I was the Blue Jackets with a talent like Dubois. I would still, you know, maybe hold on to him through this year and see what you got. And then, you know, when you have a little bit of a longer offseason, truly evaluate your options. Plus, he'll still be have one year left on a deal, so he'll be very, very attractive and easy to move. At that time, absolutely. That's great advice. And then you also you have to look at it like, how much longer is John Tortorella going to be a coach and going to be a coach for the Columbus Blue Jackets? Uh, I, the, the, the team is not really poised to go to the Cup as it is right now. I think if you have... A couple more years with you know Dubois into his prime and some Wierenski and Seth Jones more into their prime as well. That's when you're really going to want to make the push. So if I'm someone from Columbus' front office, I'm talking to Dubois and saying like, look, you know, we want you here. We want to win a cup here. Like, what do we have to do? What what is your issue with Tortorella? You know, like, and and see what his his view is because if he just wants to get out of Columbus and go someplace that's a little bit more of like a, a glitzy market or he wants to go to Canada or something like that, then it's a different story. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd, I'd be curious to see what more comes out because I'm already seeing stuff where Tortorella has, has come out and said that Dubois has told him that he wants to leave. I don't know how that's going to work. You know, when you're playing hockey and you want to leave and how much but, of a know, distraction does that become too in the locker room is another story as well. Especially, I mean, it's a shortened season, so there's plenty of opportunity, and a condensed season, so there's plenty of opportunity to move on to something else pretty quickly. There's not going to be too many lags in the schedule. So, but I mean, they're, they're a tough bunch, and in that division, they could steal a playoff spot for sure, and I don't know quite yeah. how much it's stealing. I think they could easily take that third or fourth spot if things go well. A team that I don't think will be in the mix are the Chicago Blackhawks. They're not going to have Taves for the foreseeable future. We know Patrick Kane is pretty disgruntled there with the way things have been handled by management over the last couple of years. The dynasty is definitely over in the Windy City. Could we see Patrick Kane one day be traded while he's still a top player? Not like when he's uh, 
you know, kind of, it, you know, when a guy like Kane regresses, I don't know when that's going to happen, but at some point it will. I'm talking before then, while he's still like a guy you can plug into your lineup and be one of your top players. Do we see him get traded in that scenario? I, I would only assume that you would do that trade because of his contract and it would free you up to get another player who's in his prime or just about to hit his prime and you want to max out that contract offer. If I'm Chicago, this is one of the players that won me, you know, this is this is a Hall of Famer. This is one of the Chicago Blackhawks who fans will love forever. And, you know, that you saw how they've treated Duncan Kane and Brent Seabrook. Duncan Keith. Right. Duncan, sorry. <laughs> Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook. Thank you. Uh, I think that it would take a lot for them to trade away Kane. And I, I don't know. I'd like it if I was the receiving end of the trade, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy if I was a, a Blackhawks fan and they traded Patrick Kane. Ten and a half million for the next three years is a tough contract to move, especially with who knows what the you know the salary cap is probably not going to be going up next season. So it's not like you can anticipate a little more wiggle room by the cap going up by a couple of million or anything like that. That's probably not going to happen. Um, but yeah, to your point, if it's a team that you know is looking to go over the top and has to give up a you know a bona fide young talent with some term, you know that, that has the cap space to take on a guy like Kane, we'll see. I don't think they're in a rush to move him because I think whether you have a happy Kane or a pissed off Kane, you're going to have a productive Kane. So you're still going to, you know, the Blackhawks will still get a top product out of him on the ice. So we'll see how that goes. But Kane is not happy. Kane certainly, as much as he doesn't want to leave the Blackhawks fans, I think he wants, he still feels like, hey, I can win another cup or two. I still got some lead left in the pencil. Get me somewhere where I can do it. This ain't the place. And now, you know, his, you know, Taves, his co-pilot, he's not even there to play with him to keep him happy this season, so we'll see. But uh, we'll go over to Dallas now. The defending Western Conference champions aren't getting the start they'd like with the start of the season delayed due to the amount of COVID positive tests and exposure. No Tyler Sagan for a while either. Can they rally around all this and compete? Or is being behind the eight ball uh, this way in a shortened season too much? Dick, because they're in a division where there are some spots up for grabs, they can afford a little bit of a buffer time to still get back in the mix, but... Things happen very quickly in this kind of schedule, shortened schedule, condensed schedule. You know, winning streaks can happen quickly, so can losing streaks. So I think they got to come hot out of the gate, and then they'll be fine. If they don't come hot out of the gate, it's going to be very problematic. Yeah, I, I think that the the challenge of COVID early on is is a two-pronged benefit for them. One, it galvanizes them and gives them some sort of something to, like, work together on and be challenged by, and then no one gives you a shot, and then you guys, you know, you had to suspend all these games early on because of COVID. Secondly... Presumably, I'm not a doctor, uh, but if they've got COVID already, it means that there's less of a chance that they get it later on in the season. So they have that advantage already over all of the NHL or whoever already hasn't, you know, people who haven't gotten it. Thirdly, if they can get out of this division above Tampa Bay, if you think of it this way, Tampa Bay is the only team that they really couldn't beat last year. They could handle pretty much everybody else at any point during the season. So if they can get out of this division or just figure out how to get over the hill with Tampa Bay without Kucherov, uh, this could be a team you see maybe go back to the cup again with a little bit more confidence and, you know, more team of destiny type uh, play. If you told me to rank this division right now, this would be my, all things considered, I think they finished third. I think they're the second best division, but I think a little bit of a bumpy start will, you know, hurt them a little bit in the standings. They finished third. My bounce back candidates for the season and who I have finishing second behind Tampa Bay, Nashville Predators. I don't think they're going to finish worse than second. I think this is a year where a, Goalie tandem of a more heavy UC Saros with Pecorine mixed in a little bit will work well for them. I think, you know, maybe Matt Duchesne has a much better season than he's had in his previous time in Nashville. Um, I thought he would kind of take off finally going where he wanted to be. Did not have a great year last year. They also have Eric Howell there, Luke Cunnan. They bring in uh, Brad Richardson to fill out the bottom six a little bit better. So, I mean, they, they have a team that can play with Johansson and Forsberg and Arvidsson on the top. We know they have a decent blue, a really good blue line. So I, I think they're going to do much better this year, especially now a full season of John Hines behind the bench. Yeah, that's a great point. It's another uh, the year in the system. Roman Yossi doesn't have to do so much, try not to do so much this year. He was amazing last year. And I think that sometimes when you're amazing like that, it, it you know you want the rest of the team to really follow. And maybe this could be the year for them. I, I could see it. I definitely think that they're either two or three within this mission. A team that's not going to be one, two, or three of the Detroit Red Wings, much like Ottawa. This is a developmental year for the Motor City. They'll have a fun top line and uh, with you know Dylan Larkin, Anthony Mantha, and uh, Tyler Bertuzzi. And, hey, they're back in the same division as Chicago, and with both teams expected to not play well, games between them might actually be competitive, fun, and scrappy. So at least we get a little bit of that Blackhawks-Red Wings rivalry back for a season. That's always nice. Yeah, that's nice. And they're also at the six similar points of their, you know, they're both kind of rebuilding 
situations there. Uh, Mark Stahl also on the Red Wings, so good luck to you, bud. And uh, I don't know if this will be his last season, but uh, he was good on the Rangers. And it's sad to see him going to toil away on, on a team that's really going to be terrible this year. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, he was a former Ranger blue line whipping boy. He's always a guy I liked. You know, he was at the beginning of his career. He was a hell of a defenseman. You know, wasn't going to light up the score sheet for you, but certainly took care of his own end very well. Um, You know, like you said, tough to see him toil away in Detroit, but at least he's playing. At least he's getting some minutes. At least getting some time. He can help, you know, Danny DeKaiser maybe a little bit. Who knows? Um, Now, Seattle's not in the league yet, but it would feel weird leaving them out. They will be in the league next year, so... Now, you, every move a team makes, you know, when you look at the debt trade deadline and things like that, Seattle is in the a lot closer in the rearview mirror, and they're getting closer with each passing day. So we'll see how things go with the Kraken. I'm excited to see an, uh, an expansion team. It's not something you see all the time in the four major sports, and this is probably the last time the NHL is going to expand for a very, very long time. Yeah, the Kraken. If it's anything like the way that the Golden Knights did their draft, like, oh, boy. Watch out. But I feel like it's t- it's going to be tougher to do that because of these this COVID situation and, you know, potentially because of, uh, you know, salary cap being flat or going down or whatever. Who knows what's going to happen? I mean, talent evaluation at the, you know, collegiate and minor level or major and junior level is a little bit tougher because you're not going to, ha- you know, you're re- you can't go and see these guys in person. Like, yeah, you still have your scouts and you trust their word, of course. But for the higher up guys, your GMs, your player pro person, director of player personnel guys, like those, the collegiate scouting guys, those guys, it's going to be tougher for them to get their eyeballs on as many players in person this year. So certainly draft is going to be different. You look at the Kraken, I don't think they'll have as successful a uh, run out of the gate as Vegas did for two reasons. A, Vegas set a very high bar. Two, teams didn't know how to handle that expansion draft. Teams didn't know how to, you know, they, you know, look at what, and I've brought this up in the past, but look at what Florida basically did. They basically said, you can take Marcheseau, but you have to take Riley Smith with you. Well, you just formed two-thirds of their top line the first couple seasons out of the gate because Riley Smith wasn't playing well. They thought the contract... And then, listen, at the time, that didn't look like a great contract, the way he was performing. But you're not going to have teams falling over themselves, giving away certain guys. If, hey, if you're going to take this guy, then take the... I think teams are better prepared for it this time around. So, you know, Ron Francis is not going to have this easiest time as George McPhee did, you know, just, you know, getting out the gun and ski mask and just robbing other GMs blind because... They had cap crunches, or you can only protect this guy, and if I protect this guy, I'm going to leave this guy out. I don't want to leave this guy out. So, not- Shea, Shea Tador and Wild Bill Carlson. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, like, you look at a lot of these guys, and it's like, <laughs> but, you know, you had to protect other guys. Don't forget certain guys right. if they had a no-trade clause or no-movement clause, and they had to be protected, and... There was you could either you know protect X amount of forwards, X amount of D, or you can change it to this. You know, there's you know we'll see how that goes this year if they change any of those restrictions up. Time for our parting thought here as we wrap things up on PTR 111. It's always nice to talk about new two, new captains. We got two of them. In Vegas, you got Mark Stone. He's got the C on his sweater. And Dylan Larkin was named the Red Wings captain. In both cases, I think this was the right selection for both squads. I think when Mark Stone was in Ottawa, if they thought that he was going to be there long term, he was kind of like a captain in waiting. He was kind of, you know, he's got that, you know, personality, that leadership, the way he plays the game, the way he carries himself. Certainly well qualified to be a captain. And, hey, it's, you talk about, you know, team like the golden knights that's something to sneeze at considering they're one of the top teams in the west and then you look at the red wings larkin's kind of been the guy they've been grooming maybe they thought manta could be that guy manta hasn't really stepped up and maybe this year he does he got a little bit better last year but larkin is their guy he's the face of that franchise for the foreseeable future yeah i mean i i like both i mean i think larkin is maybe a little young um but different people respond to that differently. So maybe they feel like he's one of the younger guys who is more mature and will take that responsibility and run with it and succeed, kind of like Bo Horvat in Vancouver. Um, so that's good. And, you know, that that also coins your, your know, franchise player. You know, like I think Jack Eichel is the captain of Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a lot of pressure, you know, and you see it in, in his, in Eichel's postgame kind of, interviews when they lose and or they get drubbed you know it's tough for him to process the emotion of that drubbing with like the potential improvement in the future when like you can't you know you're 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 younger you're emotional you just lost and you're the captain it's a lot it's it's a lot so i hope that detroit has really done their research and um i hope that 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 is good for larkin and good for detroit because larkin's a really wonderful player really really well-rounded player hell of a skater hell of a passer hell of a shooter so that does it for this edition of ptr 
don't know when we'll be back with you. We're trying to aim for every two weeks. Hopefully, we can get that going here. We'll be back with you before the end of January. You know, we'll have more hockey to talk about. Then we're only a couple days into the season, so that's why we treated today kind of a little bit of like a, a little bit of a preview kind of show more than anything. But there's gonna be plenty of hockey on. NFL playoffs are on this weekend. Great weekend to uh, just kind of stay home and enjoy the sports. You got anything to wrap it up here, JC? No, welcome to the season of the uh, of NHL. It's back. It's a little modified, but look, the hockey's going to be great, and uh, I can't I can't really wait to see how it all unfolds with the series type hockey for the rest of the season. It's COVID Cup number two, hopefully the last of the COVID Cups, and uh, we'll see if Tampa Bay can repeat as COVID Cup champs or if it's going to be uh, somebody else this year. But it's going to be fun to watch and see how things shake out, especially with the uh, freshened up divisions. And as always, thanks for listening to PTR. We'll be back with you soon. Have a good day.